Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, bonjour, and welcome to the first quarter results 2021 Laurentian Bank Financial Group Conference call. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I would like to turn the conference over to Ms. Susan Cohen, Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, ma'am. Thank you. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Today's opening remarks will be delivered by Rania Llewellyn, President and CEO and the review of our first quarter of 2021 financial results will be presented by Francois Lorrain, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, after which we will invite questions from the phone. Also joining us for the question period are Liam Mason, Executive Vice President and Chief Risk Officer, Kelsey Gunderson, Executive Vice President, Capital Markets, and for the first time, Eric Provo, Executive Vice President, Commercial Banking. All documents pertaining to the quarter can be found on our website in the Investor Center. Before we begin, let me remind you that during this conference call, forward-looking statements may be made, and it is possible that actual results may differ materially from those projected in such statements. For the complete cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements, please refer to our press release or to slide two of the presentation. It is now my pleasure to turn the call over to Rania Llewellyn. Thank you, Susan, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you and your loved ones are keeping safe and well. Our main focus continues to be ensuring the health and safety of our employees while supporting our customers and communities during these challenging times. The first quarter of 2021 marked my first full quarter as CEO of Laurentian Bank, and I am pleased to report that we had a good start to the year. Delivering adjusted net income of $47.6 million, which represents an increase of 12% quarter over quarter and 29% year over year, with adjusted earnings per share of $1.03. Our results were driven by a strong performance in capital markets, the resumption of growth in commercial banking, lower provision for credit losses, and strong cost discipline. We continue to take a cautious approach towards PCL, considering the high level of uncertainty in the economy. While there is optimism related to vaccines, there is also concern surrounding new variants. To mitigate this uncertainty, the bank continues to maintain healthy liquidity levels and strong capital position with a CET1 ratio of 9.8%. While I am pleased with our overall performance for the quarter, we do not expect this year of transition and strategic refocus to be a straight line to success. 
there is much work to be done to position Laurentian Bank for sustained growth and profitability. You will recall last quarter, we established three strategic pillars that are guiding our efforts and actions. They are, number one, cultivating a customer-first culture. Number two, creating a more agile organization with an innovative mindset. And number three, engaging and empowering our employees to work collaboratively as one team. As we work towards establishing a renewed strategic direction, we set out a number of goals last quarter that I want to update you on. The first goal was the renewal of our senior leadership team in our effort to put the customer at the center of everything we do. I am pleased with our progress on this front as we have recently added three new external hires and an internal promotion. Sebastien Belair, Chief Human Resources Officer, will drive the bank's strategy of engaging and empowering employees to work collaboratively as one team. His focus will be on building high-performing teams in a diversified and inclusive workplace. Sebastien joined the bank on February 2nd. Yves Denome, Head of Operations, filled a new role that was established following the retirement of the Chief Operating Officer. We have separated the bank's operations and technology units with Eve overseeing the operations teams. His mandate is to reduce complexity, improve and streamline end-to-end -end customer processes, and drive cost optimization across the bank. Eve joined us on February 22nd. Adam Swinemar, Head of Digital, is leading the digital strategy across both personal and commercial banking. He will develop and oversee the strategic digital initiatives to simplify and improve the customer experience. Adam joined the bank on February 2nd. Lastly, Yvonne Deschamps, currently our SVP Finance, Accounting and Corporate Development, will succeed Francois Lorraine as CFO when Francois retires on April 6th. Ivan will use his financial expertise and deep knowledge of the bank's operations to guide the growth and profitability of the bank. Each of these new leaders will play a critical role in helping to achieve our strategic priorities. They will contribute to the thorough review of all Laurentian Bank's operations to ensure the organization has the right priorities resources, and personnel to position the bank for future growth. The second goal was focused on our efforts regarding cost discipline. We have made good progress this quarter on controlling expenses as reflected in our adjusted efficiency ratio of 68.9%, which represents an improvement of 100 basis points over the past quarter and 770 basis points compared to last year. For the remainder of the year, we will continue to focus on expense management while working on identifying structural cost optimization opportunities that align with the future strategic direction of the bank. These efforts will create the type of sustained operational efficiencies that ultimately drive long-term shareholder value. The third goal that we discussed last quarter was to advance our efforts 
towards a comprehensive strategic review of all the bank's operations and current priorities. This work, spearheaded by our renewed leadership team, is underway and we are on track to deliver our new strategic plan, including Laurentian Bank's value proposition and vision for the future by the end of the year. In the near term, one opportunity that has surfaced as a high priority for the organization is our residential mortgage business. While the industry has been experiencing growth over the past 12 months, we have not benefited from it. To reverse this trend, we are embarking on an end-to-end -end review of our mortgage processes with a focus on reducing the number of touch points to improve the customer and broker experience. We will share our assessments and progress over the next few quarters. What is increasingly clear is that the long-term impact of the pandemic will have far-reaching effects. It has changed the way we work and live and the expectations of customers and financial service providers. One area of change and increased investor focus is in the area of ESG. This is an area I am personally committed to because building a legacy for our future customers, shareholders, and employees is vitally important to me. At Laurentian, we are raising the bar at what and how we champion important events. We recognize the annual Bell Let's Talk Day by challenging every employee to a 30-minute mental health activity called Find Time for Me. For Black History Month, we introduced our Courageous Conversation series. And with just a few days until International Women's Day, the heightened need for greater attention to equity, diversity, and inclusion has never been more paramount. I'm proud that women at Laurentian Bank represent more than 55% of our workforce, 46% of our management positions, and we have had equal representation on our board for the past three years. The theme for International Women's Day this year is Choose to Challenge. At Laurentian Bank, we choose to challenge by leading. We're the first bank in Canada to appoint a woman as chair of the board. Janine Guaive would in 1997, followed by Isabelle Corville in 2013. And in 2020, we were the first major bank in Canada to appoint a woman as CEO. Laurentian Bank has begun its multi-year ESG journey that I believe will increase our accountability and transparency as we evolve our organization on important issues like equity, diversity, and inclusion, sustainability, and enhanced corporate governance. We will continue to provide updates as we progress through that journey and leverage the experiences of the past year to propel us forward as we create an organization that is more agile, efficient, and above all, customer-centric. Before I turn the floor to Francois for what will be his last earnings call, I would like to sincerely thank him for his outstanding contribution. He has played a vital role in the evolution of the bank over the past five years. His mentorship is enabling a smooth internal succession plan. I want to extend my personal appreciation for your support and guidance 
during my transition to CEO. We wish you continued health and happiness in the next chapter of your life. Francois? Thank you, Rania, for your kind words. Good morning, everyone, et bonjour à tous. I would like to begin by turning to slide seven, which highlights the bank's financial performance. Total revenue increased by 4% and then adjusted non-interest expenses declined by 7%, driving positive operating leverage from last year. Adjusted net income was $47.6 million in the first quarter of 2021, 29% higher than a year ago and 12% higher than last quarter. Adjusted pre-tax pre-provision income was 38% higher than a year ago and 5% higher than last quarter. <clears throat> Excuse me. A more granular review of the drivers of our performance begin, begins on slide 8. Year-over-year year, net interest income increased by 3% and net interest margin increased by 3 basis points. The improvement was due to optimized funding as we increased the utilization of secured funding, as well as higher prepayment penalties on residential mortgages. While contributing to net interest income in the short term, prepayment penalties reflect the reduction in the underlying portfolio. This is why reviewing the end-to-end -end mortgage process, as Rania had mentioned, is a priority which we are proactively addressing. Turning to slide nine, other income was up 6% from a year ago. An increase in capital markets revenues of $7.8 million was partly offset by lower service charges and credit card revenues. The pandemic has led to a buildup of liquidity resulting from government programs and less consumer spending. And it is reflected in reduced credit card usage and faster payment of balances. Slide 10 highlights our disciplined focus on cost. Salaries and benefits were relatively unchanged from a year ago as higher performance-based compensation related to strong capital markets revenues was offset by a decrease in salaries from a reduction in headcount. Premises and technology costs were 3% lower year over year as we continue to streamline costs and decelerated the pace of IT projects given our ongoing strategic review. Other non-interest expenses declined by 30%, stemming from lower regulatory costs and other costs ensuing from efficiency measures, some of which were implemented last year. As well, in the current environment, costs are generally lower, including those related to business development and travel. The adjusted efficiency ratio improved to 68.9%. Slide 11 presents our well-diversified sources of funding. Personal deposits account for 77% of our total deposits and contribute to our healthy liquidity position. We continue to optimize our funding sources and manage third-party deposits to align with loans. Slide 12 highlights our strong capital position. The CT1 capital ratio presented under the standardized approach stood at eight, uh, sorry, 9.8% at quarter end and 9.7% excluding OSFI's transitional arrangements for the provisioning of expected credit losses. 
Internally generated capital was the main driver of a 20 basis point sequential increase. At the current CT1 level, the bank has about $300 million of excess capital based on the midterm point, uh, midpoint of our risk appetite range of 8.1 to 8.5%. Slide 13 highlights the commercial loan portfolio, which grew by 3% sequentially. Growth in inventory financing volumes resumed, reflecting seasonality, as well as dealers partially restocking their inventories. While consumer demand for recreational boats and vehicles remains high in the current environment, supply chain challenges are expected to delay a full recovery in inventory financing volumes. Real estate lending also contributed to growth, largely through insured multi-residential mortgages. The strength of our underwriting, good diversification, and strong collateral contribute to the high quality of this portfolio. Slide 14 presents the Pan-Canadian Residential Mortgage Loan Portfolio. The loss ratio increased to 10 basis points and mainly reflects the end of the deferral program and an upward revision of the unemployment rate. The level of insured mortgages at 57% is among the highest in the banking industry, and when combined with a low LTV on the, un on the uninsured portfolio, contributes to reducing the overall risk of this portfolio. Turning, turning to slide 15, allowances for credit losses total $193.6 million. The sequential increase of $8.6 million is due to an increase in allowances for impaired commercial loans. It takes into consideration our cautious approach considering the uncertainty related to new variants of the COVID-19 virus and a slower vaccine rollout than previously announced. Scenario weights were unchanged from the prior quarter with higher weights attributed to the base and downside scenarios and a lower weight to the upside. As shown on slide 16, the provision for credit losses was $16.8 million in the first quarter of 2021. Compared to last quarter, TCL decreased by $7.4 million, reflecting lower provisions on performing loans, offset by higher allowances on, on impaired commercial loans. The PCL loan ratio stood at 20 basis points in the quarter, compared to 29 basis points last quarter and 18 basis points last year. Gross impaired loans on slide 17 were relatively unchanged from the prior quarter and stood at 82 basis points. I would like to offer some thoughts on how we see the second quarter developing. Net interest income will be impacted by the slightly shorter quarter. Net interest margin should be similar to the Q1 level. Capital markets has begun the second quarter with positive momentum. The commercial banking pipeline is strong and we're cautiously optimistic about our growth prospects. Although we do not expect non-interest expenses to decline in a straight line, we will continue to heighten fo our, our heightened focus on cost discipline. Gross and pair loans are expected to peak around mid-year all things being equal, we believe that we remain adequately provisioned and are cautiously optimistic that provision for credit losses could improve over the remainder of 2021. 
considering these factors and the fewer number of days in the second quarter, we expect Q2 pre-tax pre-provision income to be lower than in Q1. Before the question and answer session begins, I would like to make a, take a moment to say how privileged I am to have had the opportunity to work with an exceptional team at Laurentian Bank. I'm also fortunate to have been able to build strong relationships over the past five years with investors and analysts. I thank you for your trust and support, and I'll turn the call back to Susan. Merci, Francois. At this point, I would like to turn the call over to the conference call operator for the question and answer session. Moonish? Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone. Or using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll now take our first question from Manny Grom of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Uh, I was intrigued by the commentary on the mortgage business. Rania, I understand the fix will take a while, but I'm just trying to understand better sort of your assessment of, of the reasons for the lag uh, in volumes. You talked about reviewing end-to-end processing and also connecting it to prepayments. And I'm just curious if you could go into that in a little more detail. Thanks, Manny. Uh, what I would uh, what I would say is, as you've seen, you know, many of the other institutions have really benefited from a robust uh, mortgage asset growth, and, and we haven't benefited from that. So, as we're undergoing the detailed review of our operations, this was one opportunity that uh, that came to light very quickly. And so, uh, we are currently mapping out the entire end-to-end process uh, just to see reduce the number of touch points, understand what those touch points are identify opportunities where we can introduce automation across the process and and really ultimately get a faster time to yes as well. And so that should drive uh, both growth as well as improve the customer experiences, uh, customer experience and reduce uh, cost efficiencies as well. So that work is currently under review. And as I said in my remarks, we're hoping to report back our progress in the next couple of quarters. Okay, and just to dig into that, I mean, when you talk about end-to-end process, is the thinking that it just it takes too long to get to yes, and that is impacting some of the, the performance that we're seeing? Uh, am I getting that correctly? And the connection to, I think Francois talked about uh, elevated prepayments, and, and so just trying to understand how that end-to-end process is impacting the, the prepayments specifically. Yeah, so, so what I would say, Minnie and, and, and Francois is welcome to, uh, to hop in, is uh, ultimately, yes, you know, consumer demands have changed. Everything is uh, a move to faster time to yes. And so there's definitely an opportunity where we're lagging behind, which is why we're doing a deep dive on mortgages. Uh, and as you know, there's, there's a couple of components, but that's, that's definitely what we're aiming to do is to elevate 
our end-to-end -end processes, improve our customer experience, and get a faster time to yes. Um, Francois, did you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I have nothing to, else to add on that point uh, right now. Okay, and, and then if I could just ask another question, just in terms of uh, cost optimization, um, sounds like definitely a, a priority. And I'm wondering, again, as, as you look across the organization, what are the key areas where, where you think there is opportunity here to uh, optimize? Yeah, so, so it's part of the comprehensive strategic review that we're currently undergoing, and cost optimization, many, as we mentioned, is, is definitely one that's important to us. I would say in terms of early observations, uh, procurement and vendor management is definitely an area of opportunity that we're going to do a deeper dive on. Uh, the other one I would say is, um, you know, uh, the work from home environment and the pandemic has really proven that there's an opportunity for us to build hybrid working arrangements, which will also create, uh, you know, cost optimization opportunities in terms of looking at our real estate footprint. So I'd say those are kind of the two early observations, but uh, we'll be reporting back once the uh, comprehensive review is completed. Thanks, Juan. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you find that your questions have been answered, you may remove yourself from the queue by pressing star 2. And as a reminder, it is star 1 to ask a question. We'll now take our next question from Gabriel Deschenes of National Bank. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. I uh, won't ask that many questions because we got you coming to our conference at the end of the month. So, um, it, but I'll, I'll stick with the mortgage topic here. Um, and, and good to hear you're, you know, highlighting some of the changes that you're you're putting into place. And but uh, what, just on the quarter, what we saw, could you quantify the prepayment penalty uh, benefit? And can I connect the dots in such a way that you had prepayment, but your mortgage balances went down? So that's People that are leaving the bank is that they're going to somewhere else to get their loan? That kind of yeah. So I'll, I'll uh, so Gab yeah. So Gabrielle, thank you for the question, and I'm really looking forward to the conference at the end of the month, and uh, hopefully we'll be virtually meeting soon. I'll pass it on to Francois, and then I'll add a little bit more color as to what we're doing moving forward. Thank you, Rania. Well, we have the impact uh, year over year of the prepayment. And the NIM is basically half of the difference in NIM. So we went from 80, 181 last year to 184, so basically half of it is due to the prepayment. Okay. And then, like, are, 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 are the, the trends connected? to complete the answer in the year. Yeah, so what I would say, Gabriel, there's a reason why we're doing a thorough review. So obviously it's a trend yeah. we're trying to reverse. Uh, we're doing a thorough analysis to understand uh, retention versus, you know, um, you know, pileup of cash where people are paying off their mortgages, what the reasons are. But what we do know is that this is an area of focus and it's an area of priority and opportunity for us. Uh, we've got multiple channels by which we deliver mortgage services through our B2B bank as well as through our retail network. And so it's, uh, it's a high priority uh, for me and for the institution, and that's why we're embarking on this end-to-end -end process because we know we're lagging and we know we need to reverse the trend. Okay, great. And uh, just the uh, switching over to the commercial side of the business, saw some growth there. 
uh, in floor plan or I guess equipment finance or uh, uh, inventory finance. Sorry, uh, is that an indication of you know some of those uh, supply constraints uh, diminishing and your your dealers are you know closer to normal? And uh, what the outlook would be for for the rest of the year in that business, and then uh, I guess CRE in particular, multifamily uh, project lending has uh, been growing for the last few quarters. You know, can you tell me what kind of, is that condo development or or, or what? Thanks. So I'll I'll start off, Gabriel, and then I'll hand it off to Eric Provost, who's uh, our new EVP of commercial banking. So what I would say is, as you know, uh, our consumers have been building up quite a bit of liquidity, and what we're seeing is that consumer demand for recreational boats and vehicles remains high in the current environment, uh, which is resulting in the you know the nice uh, resumption of growth in our inventory uh, financing that you see on on slide. Uh, I believe it was slide. 13. Um, the supply chain challenges, though, are still here, and so there's an expected delay in terms of the full recovery in inventory financing. Uh, and, uh, and so I would say that, you know, the seasonality will start kicking in in Q3, Q4, but in terms of a forecast, um, we, you know, the pipelines are quite strong, and so we're feeling uh, relatively comfortable with the next quarter but the supply chain challenges continue. But I'll hand it over to Eric to uh, provide a little bit more color, both on the inventory financing, as well as the uh, multi-res uh, multi portfolio. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, um, yeah, Gabrielle, on the uh, inventory finance side, for sure, we, uh, we do expect uh, lower uh, credit line utilization throughout the spring and, and summer season. Uh, as Rania mentioned, uh, there's, there's a, a very high demand on, on those products, and uh, uh, the OEMs are uh, are still uh, catching up with, uh, with with that situation. So uh, expect uh, expect lower usage for uh, for uh, Q3 and Q4. Uh, in terms of the uh, question regarding multi-res, like it's been. Uh, a strong uh, Q1 in terms of growing that portfolio uh, on the insured side. Uh, pipeline is still strong, uh, but this is really multi-family type units um, and, uh, and not condo related. Okay. Um, low rise with four units or five units, something like that. Uh, just trying yeah, to visualize. Just trying to visualize. Okay. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now take our next question from Doug Young of Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Just wanted to go back to the expenses and just so I understand how to think about this over the next year because I think in the opening comments it was mentioned it's not going to be a straight line. Um, this quarter was obviously much better than what we saw from a trend perspective last year. But there's a lot of projects still. It feels like ongoing, and the review is still ongoing. So how do we think about – because the expense line has bounced around quite a bit, and, it, and there was a material decline in the unusual items this quarter, which is great to see. Just trying to get a sense, is that indicative of what to expect? And, and if you can provide any thoughts in terms of mix ratio or direction on adjusted mix, that would be much helpful. Yeah, so, uh, so what I would say, Doug, thanks for the, uh, for the question. And as, as I mentioned in my opening re remarks, um, given, like you said, we're undergoing the strategic review in the organization, and so it, it's hard to predict at this point 
uh, in terms of what it's going to look like. We do know it's likely not going to be a straight line. But I think the key thing is the cost discipline is here to stay. So the heightened focus around discretionary spend is definitely here to stay. But in order to ensure sustainable growth and profitability, we'll be pivoting very quickly to activating some of the cost optimization opportunities that we'll be identifying. And so um, that, that would be what I would, I would say in terms of um, a forecasting perspective, and we'll continue to report back on what these cost optimization opportunities are. And, uh, and sorry, Doug, what was the second part of the question? I apologize. Well, I just... You know, sorry, I, I kind of droned on. It's my fault. No, it's just around the expense side. And so, the, so there was, you know, a big decline in the material unusual items this quarter. And so is there anything that you foresee over the next few quarters in terms of charges from decommissioning systems or, you know, you're looking at the mortgage and the end process. Is there going to be any any large chunky items that you would consider unusual that you foresee over the next few quarters? Yeah, so again, Doug, it, it's really hard to uh, to forecast at this point. We're still undergoing that thorough review, and we'll report back uh, when uh, when things get clearer for sure. Okay. And then just on the PCL side or allowance side, there was a small release in, in the performing ACLs. It looks like it was more personal and commercial. You know, your remarks suggest that, you know, there's obviously an improvement in the economic outlook but also you've probably reined in the level of release that otherwise would have occurred. And Francois, I apologize you. I think you mentioned um, maybe there was an increase in the weighting to the downside scenario. I'm just trying to understand what the offsets were um, that would have reined in the amount. Um, and then if you can just talk a bit about what you're seeing on the personal commercial from the ACL side on, on the performing loan side. Sure. So I'll start off and then pass it over to Liam. Um, I think just a couple of key messages is, um, number one, we're adequately reserved. We've always taken a consistent and conservative approach uh, and very disciplined in terms of uh, our under underwriting, as well as we have a very diversified portfolio that's highly collateralized. I think what's really important to note is that um, we were very gradual in our ramp up in 2020, which is consistent with our conservative approach. And in terms of a forecast, we'll be doing a gradual ramp down in 2021 as things unfold from an economic outlook perspective. Um, so I'll pass it over to Liam to kind of add a little bit more color, particularly around the ACLs. Thank you, Rania. Uh, gross impaired loans uh, were very stable versus last quarter, a stable watch list. And we're not seeing a lot of new formations. Uh, Doug, you will see uh, in terms of the stages, uh, the drop in, uh, in um, and, and I think Francois highlighted this in his, in his comments, the drop in stage two mortgages, that's due to a decrease in clients with active payment deferral. That's somewhat offset by, uh, as Francois articulated, by a higher unemployment situation. And then on the personal loan side, uh, we're seeing a decrease in sort of uh, uh, stage two, uh, as uh, we see the uh, equity markets and, and you know some of our investment loan product improve, um, we are overall uh, very appropriately reserved, consistent with uh, the current economic scenario expectations, and we're taking a prudent, measured approach to how we manage you know manage reserves, and we'll continue to do so. And maybe if I can another. Sorry, go ahead, just to clarify, you alluded to the weightings. We kept the same weightings as in the previous quarter for the economic scenarios, which are high 
is skewed towards base case and downside risk cases scenarios for your information. Okay. Okay, and then if I can just take another one in. The AIRB conversion process, can you just update us where you stand with that? Yeah, so again, as part of the comp comprehensive strategic review underway, we're looking at all of our key uh, projects, and so ARB is definitely one of them. And so once we complete that thorough review, we will be coming back uh, with, uh, with some uh, comments on that. And so there's no update on timing related to that project at this point. Yeah, so as I as I had uh, kind of stated publicly is that our comprehensive strategic review, we will be coming back at the end of the year. However, if there are decisions that are made between now and then or any priorities that surface, we will be updating you in due course. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now take our next question from Paul Holden of CIBC. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. First question I want to ask is regarding how you're broadly thinking about potential uses of that excess capital you highlighted in your prepared remarks at 300 million, and appreciate that some of it's going to be on based on the, the, the completion of your uh, strategic review. But OSFI is likely, at least in my opinion, OSFI is likely to um, remove those capital handcuffs before that. Your stock's still trading at a significant discount to book value. So how do you think about that sort of return to um, potential return of capital shareholders versus holding on to that capital to execute on your uh, on your strategic priorities? Yeah, so so I'll I'll kick it off, Paul. Um, what I would say is there's um, our number one priority will be organic uh, growth opportunities that we will identify as part of that comprehensive strategic review, and so that'll that'll be our number one priority uh, that we're going to be focused on going forward. If there's any tuck-in opportunities for acquisition opportunities that are in line with our strategic direction of the organization, we'll have to be opportunistic. But it really gives us the flexibility to make the right decisions, but it has to be fully aligned to our the strategic review and the strategic direction that we're going to be taking Laurentian Bank towards. That's helpful. Thank you. Um, and then just looking at some of the details behind the fee income, a surprise that results on fees on investment accounts. It's, it's a small number, but given generally rising AUA levels across the industry, I would have expected that to be a positive number, not a uh, sequential decline. So maybe just some comments on what's happening there. Francois? Uh, Paul, I don't have the details of this. If I may take it offline after, if you, if you don't mind. Sure. I'd be interested to know. And then sort of a follow-up question then, is that I think about Laurentian's um, strategic shift to more advice-based branches, or at least that's the shift today. Where does that, like, where would that show up in the fee income line? Because that, that, that's one of the lines I would have expected to show up on. Mutual fund um, commissions, obviously, would be the other, and that has trended positively. But, you know, what are the key sort of income statement items I should be looking at to uh, identify success in that part of the strategy? 
Yeah, so I, I can talk generically about the strategy and where we're at. I, I, uh, I strongly believe that the advice model is the right strategy, but there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on the personal side. We, uh, it needs to be repositioned. We need to really be uh, clear on what our value proposition. We have too many brands that uh, face the market on the personal side, so we need to simplify that. There's an opportunity for us to rationalize our products. And then ultimately, similar to the mortgage book, uh, is really to simplify and streamline our end-to-end -end processes. And one key element as well is doubling down on our digital solutions, which will then further cement and support our advice model strategy. Uh, Francois, I don't know if you have anything else to add on that front. No, at this point, no. And last question for me is just regarding the changing funding mix, you benefited from higher securitizations um, this quarter. Just wondering, um, it, will that be an increasingly greater proportion of the funding mix, or as you sort of get, start getting the strategy right, um, those branch-based deposits might start growing faster again, and that will become an increasingly higher proportion of the funding mix. Just, I guess, mm -hmm. make my question more clear. How are you ba balancing the priority between branch-based versus securitization? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start off, and if Francois has something to add, he can jump in. What I would say is if you were to actually look at our personal de demand deposits, those increased 19% year over year and 5% quarter over quarter. Uh, we made a conscious decision of reducing our third-party uh, deposits, which are lower margin, and replaced it with securitization. And we're constantly proactively managing um, our deposits to really optimize margin and sources and make sure it's also matched up with our asset growth. Commercial deposits has also increased with the asset growth, so that will continue to be a focus. And then last but not least, the digital strategy to drive deposits is going to actually be core to our success going forward. So um, those, those would be my comments in terms of where we're going on the deposit side. Deposits will continue to be a core, and we'll continue to proactively manage it to optimize our margins as well as sources. Great. I'll, I'll leave it there. Thanks for your answers. Thank you. Thank you. We'll now take our next question from Lamar Passad of Cormark Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. Randy, I understand it's very early days in your mortgage review, but just wondering if broad strokes you can uh, help us understand uh, when we could see the narrowing of the performance gap in residential mortgages versus peers. Like What I mean very, very broadly, is this a 2022 thing or beyond? Yeah. So, so Lamar, Lamar it's, it is early days, and so what I would say is as we're mapping out the process, uh, we'll be highlighting some quick wins that will probably, you know, uh, impact it in a positive way. But it really depends on what the, uh, what the, uh, the review uncovers in terms of, uh, you know, how much investment and the timeline in order for us to actually set it up for success going forward. But if there's any quick wins that will be identified, we'll be moving quickly in, in executing them. So really hard to, to give you a timeline at this point. But stay tuned. And then, uh, Francois, I think you mentioned the PCL ratio could improve for the balance of the year. 
just want to be clear here. Are you talking about improvements from Q1 21 levels, or are you talking about year over year, so relative to the uh, elevated ratios we saw in 2020? Now, going from, from where we are, we, we foresee the gross impaired loans peaking at the end of Q, at the end of Q2 mid-year, and then throughout the year we see improve. We cautiously optimistic about seeing improvement in the PCL quarter over clearly over last year because 2020 was higher, but sequentially cautiously optimistic. Okay, okay. And then, you know, if I may just uh, flip over to the sub-pack here and your non-interest expenses, and I'm, I'm looking at other, other. So the footnote here suggests that it includes amortization of acquisition-related intangibles. So when I think about that, I think more of, of stability, but clearly that number has bounced around from quarter to quarter. And, you know, this quarter looks uh, quite low. Is there anything, could, maybe could, could you talk about what goes into the uh, other other and, you know, what could be driving some of that volatility? Well, typically year over year, there's been a reduction, but it's across all sector, across many, many, many activities across all departments of the bank, uh, Lamar. So there's no one specific in terms of reduction in other other versus last year. So it's the cost discipline and measures that we started to implement last year because the, obviously the, the decrease is not a, is great compared to last quarter, but it's much higher compared to last year. So you see a progression in our cost discipline at the end of last year and it, it continues this year. What types of expenses go in there, if I just may? Sorry, I missed that. Well, uh, what type of expenses? Yeah, what type of expenses go into other others? Oh boy, you've got uh, travel, corporate development, professional services, advisories, uh, insurance costs, and and all all other administrative expenses. Okay, thank you. Welcome. Thank you. We'll now take our next question from Darko Mihelik of RBC Capitals. Hi. Thank you. Good morning. I wanted I wanted to revisit Rana your answer on the deposit side because I see it a little bit differently. When I look at the deposits, I mean you mentioned strong growth in the personal slide. And then there's runoff and fixed term, which we've, we've actually been seeing that in other banks. And so when I combine all po uh, personal deposits together, I get your personal deposit growth to be rather weak relative to peers and commercial even worse. So when I look at commercial deposits, um, the peers are up 15% year over year. You're down 13. So I'm surprised that, I mean, we're highlighting mortgages as being an area, um, you know, of strategic importance, but I'm surprised that deposits haven't made that list uh, as well. So can you talk a little bit more about the deposit or the lack of deposit growth at Laurentian? Yeah, so what I would say, thanks, Darko, I would say on the commercial deposits and um, that uh, we currently, for example, don't have cash management solutions. And so that's where the digital strategy becomes key, which is why Adam is not only looking at personal, but he's also looking at personal and commercial. And so in order for us to drive more significant deposits in the commercial bank, 
we need to have a cash management solution for our clients. Um, so you're absolutely right in terms of our performance on that front. In terms of the personal demand deposits, again, as we said, we need to reposition our personal uh, personal banking division in, in, in its entirety in terms of uh, looking at rationalizing our products and making sure our digital solutions are there. We have seen the growth, though, um, in terms of quarter over quarter and year over year, but it's an area that we are, we are focused on, leading with a digital strategy. Does that answer okay. your question, Darko? Yeah, I guess it does. I mean, we can, I, I can dive deep in. I'm going to do a little more deep, deep dive analysis into deposits as well. Um, it's just that's my first brush look at it. It just looks like um, deposit growth, even though we're seeing the same trends uh, with respect to the fixed term. It still doesn't seem as though your personal is growing as fast as peers. And I'm wondering if it leads back to the same conclusion that you may be losing customers. Yeah, so, so what I would um, say, you know, we have, oh, sorry, go ahead, Darko. No, no, go ahead, please. I was going to move on to another question, but if you have more to say on deposits, I'd, I'd love to hear it. No, no, we're, we're good, Darko. Okay. And then uh, with respect to the expenses, I mean, the I'm looking at your slide 10. Premises of technology and other um, significant area of improvement. We're seeing that trend everywhere else at the other banks as well. But I'm starting to get a different story um, from some banks with respect to expenses going forward. And this is where I wanted to ask a little bit more about strategic spend. So, in other words, most banks, and I myself included, are expecting a much stronger, robust economy when we open up in the back half of the year. And some banks are saying, look, we need to spend in that kind of an environment, right? We need to come out with new products. We need to, um, you know, some banks are going to give you a, an iPad for opening an account. Uh, we need to hire staff. We need to train staff. We need to be back in the offices. And so many of them are pointing to higher expenses in the back half of the year uh, to really capture um, the, the resurgence of, of spending and, uh, and to really go out and try and, and get customers back. Um, so, you know, I understand where you're coming from with a high efficiency ratio relative to peers, but I just want to understand if tactically you're also thinking about potentially defending um, and growing your customer base when we get a very strong economic recovery in the back half of the year. So can you provide any thoughts on whether or not um, there's a potential for a significant ramp up in costs uh, in the back half of the year rather than uh, a continued focus on sort of being stingy on costs? So uh, there's a lot in there, so I'll, I'll leave it to you to, to answer as you, as you wish. Yeah, I think those are fair comments, Darko. What I would say is, um, you know, strong focus on cost discipline, but we did say it's not going to be a straight line. I think what needs to happen here, which is what we're doing, is to very quickly move from cost discipline to pivoting to cost optimization, which will require structural changes. And that will give us the room to then reinvest in our strategic areas that we need to grow, right? So. So those are, these are all of the things that we'll be reviewing as part of our comprehensive strategic review, but we need to move quickly to pivoting a cost optimization so we can take these costs structurally out of the bank. Um, but growth is definitely our end game. That's what we, what we need to do, but we need to make sure we're repositioned and refocused on the right priorities to set us up for growth. And so do you think that you'd need to maybe hire some frontline staff or um, as you said, I think you have to rationalize your product lineup, but I'm wondering about 
um, if, if in that rationalization you also have to come up with some pretty juicy offers. Um, so is there any possibility here that we see salary and employee benefits actually rise uh, as you add frontline and as variable costs go up? Yeah, what I, what I would say is we actually need to make sure our end-to-end -end processes are simplified and that we're actually actioning what we already have in the pipeline faster, uh, so similar to what I said on the mortgage side, and that will generate growth. So uh, in the near term, I would say you will be very um, strategic in terms of where we add frontline staff. So in the commercial bank where we see opportunities or in certain growth areas where they're well-oiled machines, uh, we, we will definitely be very strategic in terms of where we add additional staff. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, if you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. We'll just take a brief moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. Thank you. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, star one to ask a question. And we don't seem to have any further questions at this time. I would like to turn the call back over to Ms. Llewellyn for any additional or closing remarks. Thank you. Thank you. In closing, I would like to leave you with a few key takeaways. The bank's capital and liquidity positions are strong and its credit quality is sound. We are hard at work with a renewed leadership team to identify areas of focus and priorities. Over the next few quarters, I plan on updating you on our review of our end-to-end -end mortgage process, as well as some of the initial learnings that arise from our efforts on the strategic review. We will maintain our cost discipline while identifying more structural cost optimization opportunities and we will advance our comprehensive strategic review to chart a new path forward. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Should you have any further questions, our contact information is included at the end of the investor presentation. Our second quarter of 2021 earnings call will be held on June the 2nd, and we look forward to speaking with you then. Have a pleasant day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.